Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Father, I ask you for your Holy Spirit to help us, that the Word of God would make so much sense tonight. God, would you illuminate our imagination, and would you allow the Word of God to speak so clear and so loud tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, the book of Revelation, uh, tonight's session is, in called the, is entitled, The Garden of God, and uh, for those of you who've got the, the notes uh, in your hand, we're going to look here at the intro. Um, you know, the, the interesting thought process on this is that heaven has a garden. And as we've talked about this a few times before, so much of what we have on earth is mirror, shadow, reflections of what's already happened upstairs, what, what heaven has, what heaven holds. And, uh, and so tonight uh, is no different in that. Uh, is there anybody that could bring down these lights just a little bit? These, the spotlights, thank you. Just a little. Um, so, the great garden of heaven, uh, Revelation chapter 22, 1 through 2. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, this is not the entirety of the garden, but I do want you to picture these dynamics as real pieces of what heaven is, real pieces of what's going on there. And so we studied the throne. We've studied the fact that it's a city. We've talked about a lot of different dynamics, but now we want to talk about the most epic garden that has ever been in existence. And it's one that God himself cultivated. I just, uh, I think about whatever is the most plush, you know, lush green the, the most well-thought-out architecture, the best-looking garden that we've ever seen in this age. And maybe even take the best aspects of this garden, the best one of this one, you know, the best one of this one, of all the historical ones, you know, even the wonders of the world. Take all of those things together, and, our, and the best garden that you could make still doesn't compare to what's happening in this environment. And I'm, I think about that and... and what that's going to mean for us related to beauty on a daily basis, just the beauty that we're going to get to experience and the, and the fragrances and, you know, smell was there first before smell was here. So the idea of smelling a, you know, a really, um, you know, beautiful flower and it's, uh, it's, um, you know, potency filling the air and, and even different sections potentially. And then it says there's fruit on them. The, the fruit on these trees is going to taste incredible, but it's going to smell incredible. Have you ever walked past a really, you know, fresh smelling like peach or, I mean, just there's all these, it's going to be awesome. The fruit smells. Okay. Well, part of what we want to do in this session is do a little bit of a comparison between what we just read and the bigger picture of it and the Garden of Eden that was on earth uh, in Genesis 3. Here's Genesis 3. Now, again, imagine the word garden 
Talk about that that garden subject, not just the facts of what we read. It's got these two or three facts about it. Think about that word garden and all that that means, okay? So that way we don't get uh, locked into only the two or three details we can pull from the passage, but we can allow our minds to elaborate on those ideas with the subject of it's a garden, okay? Genesis 3. Lord uh, God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. I just want to want to point out garden. I want to point out tree of life. Uh, the fact that there's a there's fruit. I want us to kind of picture all of those details, and that uh, that Adam and therefore all mankind would be banished from this garden. But now we're reading about the garden of which this one was modeled after, the one in heaven, which is going to be our permanent reality, a permanent part of our our reality in the ages to come. Okay? So, uh, a couple other points here. This great garden, it has more than one stream. I just point out Psalm 46 to you. It's more than just the river of life. There's streams. Look at this, what it says in Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams... Make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. So this, the river of the water of life, it has streams, tributaries, and, and who knows how many other little, you know, what, what is a stream versus a river? And how big are those streams? And how pretty are those streams? I, uh, I was driving... Uh, around here this last week because we were coming back from Kansas City and and there were a couple of areas where it's pretty uh, rural uh, in in our uh, drive. And one of the things that, yeah, I'm sure you've noticed this before as well, uh, but one of the things that is a very common reality in nature is wherever there is a river, there are big tall trees on both sides of that river. And it almost kind of like from an aerial view, if you just saw plains and plains, you could identify where the streams were just by following the tree patterns and, uh, and where you can you know, find that. It's because life flocks to those streams so that it can grow and it's got a water source. I just wonder what that's going to equal in heaven and that very principle, that concept. I doubt that is just an earthly concept. It's, it's trees looking for water to be able to put their roots down deep and um, anyway, just that thought process of this garden having streams. Reason I'm harping on the streams with an S is that I don't want us locked into heaven has one, the river of life. And after that one, the river, there's no more water. This is a, a stream. It's probably a system of streams. And maybe it is that there is only one water source. The, the one river of the water of life. But we want to imagine if that is the case, that there's only one water source, which it would be believable to think that that's the case. That doesn't mean there's only one river winding through the city. It says that there are the streams of that river and they make glad the city of our God. Next, more than one tree. Now, same idea. The river of the water of life has got streams. Well, now we read about the tree of life, and whether it is the only tree 
And we are now talking about an elaborate system of trees, a, you know, a, a root system of a giant organism called the, the tree of life, which perhaps that's what we're looking at, or perhaps there's more than one tree. One thing that we do know is it says in uh, Ezekiel 47, verse uh, 12, talking about this, says, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their leaves serve for healing. So here we see different trees. And again, whether it's different trees coming out of the same root system or it is in fact different organisms completely, we need to understand heaven doesn't have one tree. It is, a, it is an elaborate system of trees or many, many trees uh, that are all uh, connected to this river and elsewhere as well. So this garden has trees, which is what you would expect. I mean, if you're talking about a little garden with nothing taller than tomato plants, okay. But this is the Garden of Eden, like to, you know, the exponent. I mean, this is, this is the, the greatest garden that has ever been in history. It's the one designed by God. It's got giant trees. Can you just imagine the tree of life, which we've, we're reading, the tree of life is in heaven, but the tree of life was on earth in the Garden of Eden. If the tree of life is in heaven, and it is, you just know that thing isn't, you know, two feet tall with little, you know, you know piddly fruit on there, size of grapes. The tree of life is this massive, impressive, you know, beautiful, elaborate. I just imagine the, the limbs of this tree have got to be more beautiful than any limbs you've ever seen. The leaves have got to be, you know, just plush and green and, and big and all the, the beauty aspects. And so there is, a, there is a, a, an aspect of even size related to beauty. Uh, in, in when we're talking about gardens. So anyway, so there's more than one tree. There's a lot of trees. There is a vast garden reality upstairs in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Well, let's move on to the river of life. We're going to describe this river a little more. And then we'll describe the tree a little more. This river brings life. It's called the river of the water of life. So it's, it's a river that is bringing life. It's not just bringing water. Now it is bringing water, but we want to understand that there is something far more dynamic going on than this just bringing water. It is called the river of the waters of life. This is bringing life with it wherever it goes. There's a, a significant difference in the uh, makeup and the type and what it is about this river, it makes it so different from all the others. I love rivers. I think they're so cool, especially when they're not filled with red dirt. We passed over a couple of really red dirt rivers, not just the Red River. They're coming down 35, we passed over maybe three or four. They're just the ugliest looking things. But I love a good river that is just, you know, clear and, and wide and long. And it, the banks just vary in the, in the way that the elevation, you know, hits. And, and there's, sometimes there's banks and sometimes there's little cliffs and the trees overhang. It's beautiful. I love rivers. This one, I'm sure, has all that beauty. But the most beautiful aspect of all is that it is the river of life, meaning it is bringing life with it and in many ways is alive itself. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, here a little bit later. First point I want to bring 
It flows from the throne. There is no river, no river anywhere that compares to this because the water source is God. That is just such a different source than every other source that we have, whether it's spring-fed or mountain-fed or, or, you know, rain-fed and drain-off, you know, uh, fed. This source of this river is the only source that would make sense if the export of the water is life, then surely the source must be God. And it is. That's what makes this river so unique. We have never seen or tasted or known or felt the impact of a river that comes out of God. That is just the most incredible thing. Revelation 22, 1 through 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So the source is the throne. It's coming out of the throne of which God is seated on. It makes glad the city. One big happy city because of water. Amen in Texas. And the more rivers and lakes and things that we can get around here in the hundred and hot that we got, uh, it's, it is, makes, makes glad the city of Arlington when we've got those. And Arlington has no rivers. So Arlington is a sad, sad city. But this is a big, happy city. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. The, the idea of recreation, of beauty, of joy, of water, of life. I love the idea of this river, not just being a river that brings life, but it brings happy. You can be alive and still mad. But this river brings gladness with it. With it. It's, it is making glad. I, what an awesome idea. This is like the snickerdoodle cookie river. You know, man, I'll just tell you what. If I found me a snickerdoodle cookie river, that would make glad the Brad forever. This is a river that wherever it goes, it's making glad. It's, it's bringing brightness and joy and, and elation of heart. That's such a cool idea. A river that makes glad. Oh, yeah, it's also a river of life, of water, and of fire. Huh? How come my water's on fire? Must be coming from the throne. This river is the most unique river imaginable because it's not just water, it's life and fire. Look at what it says here, uh, Daniel 9, I'm sorry, Daniel 7, 9 through 10. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. This river is on fire. This river is, a, is the river of life. It's, it's the river of God. It's, it's the river of fire. It, it's water. It's life. It's fire. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the great street of the city. That passage makes it sound very watery. But the one that we just read makes it sound fiery. Because it is. Zechariah 14 says, On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea. In summer and in winter, it's flowing from the throne. That's the, the first source. But now we see it's water that's living. Living water that's coming from this river. But it's also fire. That's just 
so intriguing and will be quite the thing to look at and experience. And, you know, the idea is that water refreshes and fire refines. And so actually to have life that is truly life, you need refreshing and refining. You need both of those. And so this river is accomplishing both wherever it flows. A tree of life, top of page three. Now, once again, this isn't just a tree for climbing, a tree for swinging, a tree for eating. It's a tree of life. So there's something about this that makes it so unique. This is the, the restoration of what was, uh, what was taken you know, from, uh, the, uh, from the garden, is that they ate of the fruit. It's like, okay, well, now you don't have access to, to this anymore. You, you've now eaten you know, of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat of the tree of life. But now we're able to eat of the tree of life, and it's, it's of life. There's, there is a, a, a dynamic component about it. Just think about this. God made us to be alive, and we have never eaten of that tree of life. There is yet a future version of humanity, yet a future version of the human experience that is more full and was always God intended and has not yet happened. That is just a really profound thing. Revelation 2.7 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let him who overcome, uh, tell to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 22.19 says, if anyone takes the, these words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life. So we just see again, just this, the fact of the tree of life and the fact that it's in heaven. Okay, It's providing constant supply for the city. Look at this. Each side, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The idea of a continually yielding tree. They don't, those don't exist. I mean, I don't really know that much about trees, but my, with my limited understanding is that there needs to be seasons. The four seasons serve in order to help keep, you know, to, to allow the tree to have seasons of rest so that it produces more fruit the next season, that kind of thing. The tree of life, which we were told in the Ezekiel 47 passage, there's all kinds of fruit trees on either side of the river. And here we're told the trees, they yield fruit every month this is unbelievable this is so different from the way that trees bear fruit now and the the different seasons we'll have no need for greenhouses and and fake produced fruit there's there's going to be trees producing fruit every month and they're they're god fruit from because think about the different source think about the think about the way the upgrade system is here on earth the supply is from the sunlight and from the water that comes from rain or from streams. In heaven, the source of these trees, same growth concept, but the source of light is God and the source of water is God. No wonder you've got trees that, don't, that just can't stop. I mean, it's like 12 months out of the year, they're bearing fruit. That is just incredible. Who knows all the mystery there? It's a constant supply for the city which provides fruit for eating, yielding its fruit every month. Fruit trees of all kinds grow on both sides of the banks of the river. Their fruit will serve for food. Just to think about all the eating of fruit. And if fruit, then other things as well. 
Just the, the, the concept of eating being a dynamic part of the future. And that God has those trees with those fruit, bearing fruit, not just so that they fall on the ground and rot, not just so that their pigments can be turned into paint, it's so they can be eaten. Fruit trees. You know, we only have a concept of eating on planet Earth because God made it up first in heaven. Fruit trees for eating. I mean the most just delicious fruit. It's going to have and flavors and, and versions and variants and, and fruit we've never heard of and size of fruit we can't even imagine. And your favorite fruit, but your favorite fruit, that one time that you ate it that you were like, I got it from this one stand and that was the best I've ever had of that fruit. That is, it's even better. The worst one you're going to eat is going to be even better than that one. And just constant, just delicious fruit as a significant part of life. And I mean, that's just so incredible. Leaves for healing. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Ezekiel 47 said it too. Their leaves serve for healing. So you've got not only this tree of life that is providing life in the fruit, but it's probably providing life in a hundred ways we're not even thinking. One of them, however, that's clearly laid out is leaves that have healing property. So you take this leaf from the tree of life in heaven and you go downstairs to earth and you rub it on somebody's forehead and they get healed. You rub it on somebody's foot and the toe grows out. You rub it on somebody's neck and their cancer falls off. You, or you tell them to eat the leaf or you do whatever. I don't know. You, you wrap it up and whip them with it. I don't know what you do with these leaves. It doesn't really give us a clear version of how it is that the, uh, that the, the leaf is applied in order to accomplish the purpose. But it does say that the leaves of this tree are useful for healing. And so if you can get an, a, an ambassador to go and get one of those leaves and come back to your nation, as long as you got that leaf, you have healing power. That is profound. We don't know trees like that. I'm appreciative of medicine, and I think there'll be a, an aspect of that in this. I'm appreciative of the concept of medicine, that there's things in the earth that like, if you put that with that, it can help deal with this issue. I, I, I think that's cool. I, I was like, Smart people came up with cool ideas. This is so much cooler than that. This is the, the one-stop shop healing remedy. The doctors, all they need, man, you can get a PhD in three seconds. You walk into heaven, you grab a leaf, and all of a sudden you know everything you need to know about medicine. You go, well, what's in it? Leaf. What is that? Well, you know, wh where does it come from? Heaven. Stop talking and let me rub it on your face. <laughs> I'll fix you. You got all kinds of things that are wrong with you, including your head. Let me fix your head. I'm going to rub this on you. Healing leaves. Here's an interesting thought. Revelation 22, 18 through 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. If anyone takes away the words from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. Now, at a, just a first reading, you might look at that and go, both of those uh, deep, both of those ramifications are the same. 
might go, okay, to the person that takes away, they get plagues. To the person that adds, they get plagues. But what it says is the person that takes away, that person will have their share of the tree of life taken away from it in the tree of life and in the holy city. And so I, I actually think what this is describing here is I think this is describing a person who is maybe even a preacher who winds up getting downgraded to resistor status because they did not treat the book of Revelation right. And they did not prepare the people of God in the last generation for the most important uh, generation in human history. If they took away, if they added, it says here, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which should describe this book. doesn't say that they're going to be sent to hell. It says that there's going to be real ramifications when the next age starts. They are not going to have access to the tree of life. And so I, there's a bunch of warnings about how we treat eschatology. This is one of the most severe. And as a preacher on the Bible and on eschatology specifically, I read this and I'm like, oh God, help me not say anything stupid. Like, please help me. I really want that tree. Um, and so, anyway, just a thought for you to chew on uh, that access to the tree of life can be revoked. And I just, I think about that too and go, what if, because we, were, we just read a minute ago the Revelation 2 passage that says those that overcome will get to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. Well, the only reason it would say that is if there's actually going to be some that don't get to eat that fruit, but still are in heaven. And so the subject of relationship and proximity and interaction to the tree of life, I think has varied degrees in heaven. It's not like everybody gets the all access pass to the trees. And so I, that's just an interesting concept in relationship to eternal rewards and how all that plays out. Restoring the earth. Now here's where this is really all going. The, the river and also the tree, because when you read the Ezekiel 47 passage, it makes it pretty clear that that tree is on earth in Ezekiel 47. But it's very clear that it's the tree of life, which we know has its starting point in heaven. So what we're going to do is we're going to read how these two ideas are connected, and it's all about restoring the earth. All right? Now... We'll talk a little bit more about this at the, at the very end here in a couple minutes. But let's just remember that before Jesus comes back, the earth is going to get beat up and bloody. And I don't mean the people. The people too. I mean the earth. It's going to have a lot of blood on it in gross ways. And it's going to be beat up by giant things coming out of heaven. It's going to be destroyed by war. All the water sources, you know, are, are going to be blood. It's just going to be gross. Lakes are going to be polluted. There's just going to be so many gross problems. The earth is a disgusting heap of mess when Jesus comes to take over. There will never have been a time where the earth in such a short period of time will have experienced such drastic upgrade in environmentalism. I'm telling you, the greenest guy ever is Jesus. Okay? He is going to take blood gross earth and he is going to renew it and restore it. He is going to bring so much life and healing into it. Part of the way he's going to do that is with the stream of the river of water of life. Let's look here. Isaiah 51 verse 3. The Lord will surely comfort Zion. It's talking about Jerusalem. 
and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden. Wait, wait, we were just reading about Eden, reading about the garden in heaven. It says, yes, God will make the deserts of Israel like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in here. Wait, joy and gladness, that's the kind of stuff that goes with the stream. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Ezekiel 36 says, they will say the land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. The land that was made laid waste is now like the Garden of Eden. Just so you know, that description, the land that was laid waste, that is an apt description of 100% of the planet at that point. I mean, we're talking about the whole earth will be filled with the gory as the waters cover the sea. And, and it, I'm telling you, it is going to be gory and yuck and gross everywhere. And, and then it says, the land that was laid waste has now become like the garden. So first Jerusalem, then Israel, and then the rest of the earth. But that's the flow point of the river of water of life. Starts in Jerusalem at the throne, it flows out into Israel, and then it goes out throughout the rest of the earth in various ways. Isaiah 32, top of the next page. Till the spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field. And the fertile field seems like a forest. I mean, you're going to go from the grossest, most just desolate. And I mean, the gross, you need to get that word gross really entrenched into your understanding of what the earth will look like. It's not just war torn. There's blood everywhere gross blood and burnt things and bodies and it's just gross and he says says the uh, the desert will become like a fertile field and the fertile field will seem like a forest isaiah 41 <laughs> i will make rivers flow on barren heights how does that work a height how do you make a river flow on a height rivers flow in valleys Rivers don't flow up unless there's some significant water source at the up. So this is at least speaking of a lot of rain, at least, maybe more. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water, the parched ground into springs. I will put the desert... I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set pines in the wasteland and fir and cypress together that the, so that the people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. The Lord is going to draw so much attention. This whole concept about the river of God flowing from the throne, it's actually to make the earth incredible. Deserts have always been deserts. God says, not on my millennial earth. The deserts will be made fertile fields and pools and streams. And there will be no place on the earth that is looked at as, oh man, really sorry, Sahara Desert. You guys just really got the bad part of the planet. Just dirt. Been there. I'll badmouth it all day long. That place needs revival. Sahara Desert needs streams and pools and fir trees, okay? And, and God says, that's okay, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to bring the streams of the water of life. They're going to flow out from the throne, from the garden of God, and they're going to do the garden of God thing to the whole planet. This river is also the very spirit and life of God, the river of life. So, so now don't think of it as water and don't think of it as fire. Those are also true. Now think of it as God, the essence of God, the spirit of the Lord in the water. Look what this says. John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That concept of streams of living water flowing from within Zechariah 14.8, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Psalm 46, uh, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Psalm 65, you care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. So, for, uh, so you have ordained it. Thinking about this as the, the living, the life of God flowing. It's like, like a picture of the Holy Spirit flowing. Because it's not just God made a river. God made every river. Any river that is God made. This is the river of the water of life that God made. This is God's river in a special way. And so I don't have it whole, all figured out, but the fact that it's bringing life, not just water, not just fire, there's a spiritual dimension attached to this river that you could only equate to God is in the water somehow. It's more than it's good water. It's more than it's fire. There is a spiritual dynamic of which God himself is flowing. And I just, I go to that, that verse in John 7 because I think Jesus was just illuminating. I think he was giving us a little bit of a picture of how he knows the river of the water of life works. When he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus wasn't talking about water. He was talking about the spirit of God flowing out. But he's calling it living water because I think his picture is, oh, I know what living water looks like. The, the river of the water of life in heaven has the living water. He says, actually, if you'll believe in me, you'll get to touch a little bit of that river in, in, a, in the spiritual sense in this age. Next, the river starts in heaven, but it flows to earth. I just gave you the verses here. I'll let you read that on your own. It's just, it's a very clear one. I'll read this one uh, in, uh, I think it's uh, Joel 3. A fountain of water, I'm sorry, a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. So there it is. The fountain is going to flow out of the Lord's house, but we know a minute ago it starts at the throne. So this river starts at the throne, then goes to the earthly throne where Jesus will have an established throne. And then from there flows out and is going to water everything. Next, this river refreshes all who drink it. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost the spring of the water of life. Revelation 21 verse 6. I mean, that's... That's both the spiritually thirsty and the physically thirsty because we know that the river serves both purposes. It's not just spiritual and it's not just wet. It's both. And so in the, in the age to come, he's like, hey, anybody who's thirsty, I will give drink without cost of the spring of the water of life. Now, we know that in, in the subject of the millennium, not everyone is going to get to go and visit the tree of life in heaven and the garden of God in heaven and the river of God in heaven. But everybody on earth will have access to its tributaries, to where it flows on the earth. And so here he can say, anyone 
who is thirsty. He says, to the one who is thirsty, to any person that's thirsty in that age, they will be able to have access to the spring of the water of life. And it says in John 4, 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Revelation 22, uh, verse 17 says, Come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let him who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. Just Again, just this idea of these two things flowing together out of the garden of God in heaven. And then healing goes wherever this river flows. That's, we were already talking about those dynamics, but you want to think about the healing dynamic, not just as like when you wash a car, you didn't heal the car. You just washed off the dirt. This does both. This washes off the dirt and it also heals the car. Okay. Here's what I mean by that. Ezekiel 47, he said to me, the water, this water flows towards the eastern region and it goes down towards the Arabah where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, which at this point is 100% blood, when it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Good, because the blood stunk. But here's the thing. Living things don't live in giant bodies of blood. Everything died in the blood water. Everything. It's not enough that the water flushes the toilet and washes away all the bad. It needs to heal. And it does. It says swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water, because the water that flows there makes the salt water fresh so that the river flows Wherever the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engliem, and they will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Again, the Zechariah passage, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. This water doesn't just wash off. It cleanses, it heals, it refreshes, it brings life. It's the river of the water of life. So it actually goes where everything's dead and when the river flows, it makes everything alive. That's what this river does. Not just in heaven, on earth. And really, it might even be just said, while the river of the water of life in heaven has always been and has always served purposes, we have never yet seen its primary function related to earth. The primary function related to earth is let that thing flow through the polluted earth and cleanse of sin, unrighteousness, blood, decay, destruction, uh, you know, it, it is going to just touch everything. And that's really the, the real point, is this river is going to undo all of the negative impact of the end time judgments. When we look at, the, when the judgments start flowing, the seals, trumpets, and bowls, we're going to slowly watch earth get really bad, get really destroyed, really broken. It is going to be the most exciting thing to watch that process reverse via the river of the water of the life of God flowing through that river because it's not just water. There's a spiritual component to it. Okay, so at this point, we're going to break up into groups for some discussion. Caitlin, how many groups we got tonight? Three groups, of seven. Three groups of seven. So who are my group leaders? Me, Andy. Andy, okay, you want to stay there? 
Okay. Andy, why don't you go back just because we're used to that. Uh, Luke, stay there. Caitlin, stay there. Okay. Caitlin, why don't you come this way just a little bit, though? Um, okay, so we got three groups and uh, groups of seven. And if you get eight or nine people in your group, send a couple away to a different group. That way they aren't empty. All right. We're going to go ahead and move on now to our time of Q&A. Um, okay, so I'll repeat the questions so that we've got them for the recording, uh, those that listen to this later or those who are watching online right now. Um, we'll go ahead and start uh, with Andy's group. Yeah, so the Daniel uh, chapter seven, uh, yeah, 7 passage, uh, it's really it's Daniel 7, 9 through 10 uh, is the, the passage that we're looking at. And the, the question was, that verse that, uh, that I mentioned talks about the river of, uh, of life being described as a river of fire. And the question was, are there any other passages uh, that, that I'm aware of that use that same phrase or any other passages that would illuminate what life might look like with that river of fire? I have not done extensive study, but I do think, and it would be a pretty easy thing to disprove me on this point, uh, if it's true. Um, but I do think that's the only place that describes it with that phrase, a river of fire. I think that's the only time that's referenced in scripture. But uh, with this passage, if you look at the context clues of what we're reading in Daniel chapter 7, it's not just an off verse. It's not just a, a verse kind of floating around out there. Sometimes the Psalms have incredible language that are isolated phrases that you can't really contextualize and they still give insights. That's not what's happening here. This is a contextual passage about the throne in heaven. And so let's just read Daniel 7 uh, verse 9. Uh, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seats. It's really clear. This is describing the throne room. It's the thrones around the throne. It's now God seated on the throne. He's now described in the same language that's used in the book of Revelation when, when he's described. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was like wool. His throne, his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze and a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. So here we see that in this picture, the, the wheels that we read about in Ezekiel 1 uh, are on fire. We see the throne itself is on fire, and we see then the river is on fire. It's almost like at this point, it would almost be odder to see that the, fam that the throne, sorry, river wasn't on fire because everything else at the source point was on fire. Then it says, thousands upon thousands attended him. So it's very clearly, this is the, the picture of uh, the throne room in heaven. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I mean, this books were opened thing is even a, in reference to or a, a relationship passage uh, to the passage in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 20, 20. Chapter 20, when it talks about the books being opened and the great white throne of judgment. Okay, so... Anyway, it's really clear that it's the water of life. I mean, it's the, river, it's the river that's coming out of the throne because we're told elsewhere that the river of water of life is coming out of the throne. So it's the same river. Now, additional passages that talk about the, the impact of that river as a river of fire, I think you want, if you were going to find more verses on it, which none are jumping to my mind immediately, I think the way that you would go about researching that is actually related to the concept of cleansing of sin. 
I think you would actually be looking for cleansing, not necessarily of the word fire, though if you can find a few fire verses, that'd be cool too. Uh, but as, as far as I know, it's the only passage that says it so crystal clear that the river is also a river of fire. But I think that if you relate it to the cleansing of sin, that, that fire is, the, is, that, is that fire of, of conviction, fire of cleansing, of refining. We see that fire language used many times in relationship to the refining of the saints and gold purify that kind of concept. Um, I think you might be able to find some there. So a uh, short version is, I can't think of any verses that say it directly, but maybe with all that as context, you could go on a treasure hunt and find some. So great question. Okay, uh, Luke, let's go to you. Uh, man, I'm going to try. Uh, yeah. Seth, I just, what, yeah, until someone take, until the lifeguard takes me out, I'm going to just keep trying to drown in the river of life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the question is, uh, could there be varied levels of access to uh, things in heaven? Not just these couple of things, but in this specific question, the tree, the river. Um, I think that the entire uh, concept of eternal rewards dictates that that is fact. And that is that there's, I mean, the very fact that one person's house was built this way and another person's house was built this way is indicative of access to your daily life, what your house looked like. I mean, my house is this house, your house is that house, your house is cooler than mine. I mean, so it's the entire reality of heaven for the believer, I think definitely includes the idea of varied life experience based off of their righteousness in this age. And so this was one of the primary motivating uh, tools that Jesus used. It was his primary motivating tool. It was talking about eternal rewards, treasures in heaven, uh, things that we could have if, if for the meek, you know, the, for the, the poor in spirit. There's, there's things that can be inherited in the age to come. So in relationship to specifically uh, the tree, um, the, the promise in uh, Revelation chapter 2 to one of the churches, I forget which one it is at the moment, um, was the one that overcomes, to him I will give the right to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. Well, the very fact of that uh, statement means that there will be those that will not be given that access. Now, I don't think that they will not be able to, to enjoy any of the perks of that fruit, Maybe it's they can't go up and straight up grab an orange off the tree, but they can still eat some of the stuff that's gone through the system or whatever. And fruit, they just don't get it day of off the tree. I don't know whether that's true or not. But you also got to imagine whatever level of food production there is, whatever um, you know details there are. Uh, let me let me just change gears right there in the middle of the sentence. Um, what if by that statement? I will give them the right to uh, eat of the tree of life. What if that statement or other statements like it could actually be indicating job description in the age to come that they're one of the fresh fruit farmers? They're one of the ones that get the stuff day of right off the tree, eat as much as you want while you're harvesting, you know, I mean, enjoy, enjoy. Because there's going to be real roles in heaven. Someone is going to have to take the fruit off the tree 
some machine, some person running a machine, or no machine and some person handpicking, or somebody beating the tree and it all, all the fruit fall down. Somehow there's going to be human process related to how does that fruit get everywhere? How, does, how do we make all kinds of extra food out of that fruit? And if not about the tree of life, then about the water distribution system, about the this, about the that. Heaven is a city with operational principles that we can relate to at least on some level, though they're probably way cooler than our understanding. But the concept of economy and things happening and, you know, think, I mean, Adam tended the garden before there was sin, before that he had to do it by the sweat of his brow, before he had to work the land and it be hard. He tended the garden. Tending the garden means doing work. It means doing stuff. It just, it was enjoyable and he didn't sweat. Praise the lamb. And so I like work when I don't sweat. I mean, it's my favorite. It's like, this is great. This is great. My point with that is there is an administration of order that will take place in heaven, which actually has people in different job descriptions and job roles. And so not everybody's going to have the same role, meaning not everybody's life experience is going to be the same. That tied in with God's blessing systems and even restriction systems. The one that is called least in the kingdom of heaven, I guarantee you his little swipe card for all the, the doors looks different and gains him lesser access than the one who is called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So there absolutely will be varied access. What does all that look like? Who knows? Maybe I've only scratched the surface of truth here and that understanding it is far broader than whatever I just said. But the concept of people having limited access to things, pick a thing, anything, Jesus himself. He is a physical, you know, five foot eight tall Jewish man or however tall. He is not infinite in size, and he is not cloned times a billion locations. The Holy Spirit is in everybody. Jesus as a man is one man walking around. It is impossible for 100% of humanity to always be holding hands with Jesus. That is impossible. And it is not how things are going to work in the age to come. Those who served in humility in this life, those who served in meekness, those that went low, those will be rewarded with proximity to Jesus in work assignments in the age to come. You really, really want to live humbly because if you will, you'll have closer proximity relationship to Jesus. Not he loves you more, loves you less. That, that's not the question. The question will be about your assignment. So long version of the answer to the question is in heaven, there absolutely will be access of varying degrees, probably of everything. And just because you've got access to this at a high level doesn't necessarily mean you got access to that at a high level. And that's the whole point of the reward system. Great question. Okay. Uh, let's have the worship leader come on up. I'm going to pray. And what I meant was, Caitlin, what's your question? Okay. So the question is, could it be, or is it that the garden is the same garden, the garden of Eden? before the fall or during or after and the garden of Eden in heaven? Could it be the same? Um, so I've thought a lot about this and I could honestly go either way uh, with some specific uh, caveats in one way or the other. So if it is the same garden that requires that the, the heaven, the city of heaven that we read about in revelation was on the earth before the fall, and that at the fall, when the cherub was, cherubim were posted and the flaming sword, that began a distancing 
of physical heaven from earth. Now that's a pretty elaborate if, 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 if. But if it actually is the same garden, not like what we're going to read about it, you know, it coming up uh, in the coming sessions where we're going to talk about the, the corridor of glory that connects both heaven and earth. If we're not talking about that, if we're talking about it being the, the same physical garden, then that garden is for sure in heaven, which means heaven must have been on earth previously. We don't have any verses that I can see that say that that clearly. We, we've got the verse that says that the garden was there, but the garden is geographically located in the city of heaven. So if it was on earth, then heaven was on earth. And this whole thing is a returning to that reality. And I, I mean, on some days I could go that direction. I think that probably what's more likely is because there was no sin on earth, God's ability to, to fellowship with man was uh, unabated. There was, there was no hindering. And so, so he was able to be on the earth and fellowship with man in the same garden type environment of that which he already had in heaven. One of the reasons that I would more tend to go that direction is, again, argument of silence admitted, there aren't any other indications related to the Garden of Eden that it was heaven. There aren't any other like, and there were all these angels around. It says he posted cherubim at there. So he's, he, like, he had to get cherubim to do an assignment, which we see that on earth all the time, him having uh, angels do assignments. But we don't see any of the other dynamics that describe the realities of heaven uh, located in the Garden of Eden reality in Genesis chapter 3. Now, again, that's an argument of silence, from silence, and that's, that's the weakest kind. But it's difficult to make a case in the other direction because that would also be an argument from silence because there's nothing there that says it. So I don't know how helpful that answer was. I could go either way, but I'm more tending to think that it was a separate garden. So there you go. Okay, great question. Worship leader, there. I love Tyler so much. Hey, I just, I just want to brag on some of these that are around here that are writing songs like crazy. Tyler has been writing so many worship songs. Uh, Caitlin has just been writing a bunch of songs. She did an awesome one earlier in the year. Luke Fredenberg has uh, been writing songs here recently and, and recorded one. Luke Cooper is kind of long-standing songmaster. Has been writing songs around here. I just want to encourage our worship leaders. It's really awesome when the people of this house that are, have been tracking together in a spiritual journey together write songs out of the abundance, out of the overflow of your heart. That just gives us so much like richness of worship because it's not some song that was meaningful to some other person somewhere far away. It was songs that were written in this house from people in this house many times in this room. The songs were actually drafted and created. I just love that. So. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.